If you have an Apple iPhone, you're probably familiar with the Ask Siri command. How many of you have used that before? Amen? Now, I'm really not familiar with it. I've watched people in church do that where they're driving. They say, hey, Siri. And they'll ask a question. Hey, that's pretty cool, you know. And this woman's voice comes back. I'm not sure who that is. I don't for sure. And whoever's driving the car is not his wife. Amen. But on Apple iPhone, you have that command, ask Siri. And ask Siri enables you to get connected by phone or to get an answer to something that you need right away. Now, I don't use Siri. I've never used it before. But I thought I would try something. And I did this in preparation for the sermon. I got my phone out and I held the button and I started talking to Siri. Ever done that? Amen. I started talking to Siri. I'm going to tell you some things I found out about Siri tonight. Would you, would you indulge me for a minute? I said, hey, Siri, how old are you? And Siri came back and said, well, the humans have certainly aged me. That's for sure. Then I said, and I asked another question. I said, hey, Siri, when will the world end? And Siri came back and said this. Well, Unix 32-bit uh, time overflows on January 19th, 2038. Maybe then. I said, hey, Siri, are you married? Siri came back. I'm married to my work. I said, hey, Siri, do you like your job? Siri came back and said, I have the best job in all the universe. I said, hey, Siri, are you happy? And Siri came back and said to me on my phone, I'm happy. I hope you are, too. I said, hey, Siri, are you sad? Siri came back and said, all is good in the neighborhood. I said, hey, Siri, are you intelligent? And Siri came back and said, I'm smart enough to know not to answer that question. I said, Siri, now this is good. Now, you Baptist pastor, you have to ask this question. Amen. I said, Siri, are you going to heaven? And Siri came back and said, hmm, that's something I don't know. I wanted to give the gospel. But that, that, you're, that's artificial intelligence at that point. Amen. You know, okay. I said, hey, Siri, do you like basketball? And Siri came back and said, absolutely. Just asking about the process or the beard or the Greek freak or King James or KD or AD. And he, I think he, he met to me, he met, uh, uh, you know, Cur, uh, Curry. She said, Chef Curry or Uncle Drew. And then finally, my last question, as I was getting tired of this, because it was taking too much of my time. There's wasting my time after a little bit there. I said, hey, Siri, would you like to go to church? And Siri came back and said, I try to be satisfied with what I have. The idea behind this, you can ask Siri, and Siri will answer a question. All you've got to do is ask. I've told this story before about three or four years ago. Brother Justin went with me, and, and uh, Brother, Brother Irwin went with me to the Philippines. I think it was the uh, last time was 2016. I think we were there to be with Brother Lorena. And uh, Brother Justin got in his heart about just a lot of the orphans and needy children over there. And he started collecting teddy bears off the side of the road. If you saw some weird Asian man picking up teddy bears on the side of the road that were left there for some reason, that was Brother Justin doing it, okay? And there were teddy bears that eyes that were broken and ears falling off things. He got them all fixed up and cleaned them up. I think he got Jennifer to help him clean it up there, you know. And he had a, he had a really, really big box. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I hope I'm not exaggerating, but I think it was about that big or so. And I had no idea he had collected all these things. And then we were, we were bagging everything up in the back of the van. And, and I think Brother Vaughn was driving us to SFO, and, and this box comes out. I said, what's in that box, guys? And Brother Justin said, well, I've got a bunch of teddy bears and toys. I want to bring it to Brother Lorena's church. I want to give it to the needy children. I said, that's a good thing. I said, how are you going to pay for that? He said, well, I'm hoping that it won't cost that much. I said, Brother, you're in for a surprise. Amen. And so we got to checking in. He said, well, I hope I can get it in as part of my luggage. I can check in and stuff. And, and, uh, it, and it wound up being heavier than expected or something like that. And the, la- the lady that was at the counter, or the person at the counter checking in said, well, Mr. Fong, this is going She's talking to him, not to me. He said, Mr. Fong, this is going to cost you something like $170. Now, he's broker that he's broke, and he looks at me and says, Pastor, I, I, I don't have $170. I said, don't look at me, man. That's, I'm, I, don't, I, I can't help you on that. And, he's, and so he tried to work with them on that thing. So finally, after he talked for a little bit, I said, hey, tell me what. I said, uh, listen, I asked the, the, the attendant there. I said, listen, I said, I'm a Baptist preacher. These are two Baptist preachers in training. I said, uh, listen, 
this is going to your country. We're going on Philippine Airlines. I said, this is going to your country. And we're, we're bringing this to some needy kids. I said, can you talk to your manager, see if there's anything your manager can do? And she said, well, okay. So he went to talk to the manager. The manager came out. And she explained to the manager. And I was going to explain it again to the manager. He said, hey, you're Pastor Fong? I said, yeah. He says, no problem. I'm going to check it in. It won't cost you a dime. And they looked at me like. <laughs> and so I said to them, I said to them like this. I said, well, there's a moral behind the story. Brother Justin, what's that? I said, all you got to do is ask. Amen. All you got to do is ask. Look at our passage tonight. We're looking at the 12th king of Judah, King Ahaz. Write this down if it's not in your notes. Ahaz's name means he has grasped. He has grasped. He follows his father Jotham to the throne. There's just a short chapter describing, describing Jotham's reign. Jotham, for the most part, was a good king. First, Second Kings 16 and Second Chronicles 28 give us details about Ahaz. Now, my introduction is a little bit longer. I want you to follow me. I want to tell you a little bit about King Ahaz, and then we'll get into how this dovetails with Isaiah chapter 7. First of all, the, the things that, there are two things we see that, that are predominant about King Ahaz. First of all, we see his transgressions. Now, this man was a great sinner. He was a leader from the entire moment he came to the throne. There is nothing that was good about this man. And we see this here in Isaiah 7. King Ahaz was 20 years old when he came to the throne. He was he reigned on the throne for about 16 years. Now consider some things. He is defined in 2 Kings 16 and 2 Chronicles 28 as a king that did not do that which is right in the sight of the Lord. Now when that, the Bible says something about that, do not gloss over that. That is that is saddening to say of your biography he did not do that which is right in the sight of the Lord. He was a flagrant idol worshiper all through his reign. He was idol worshiper. You know we ask the question every time we read about King Ahaz, how did he get like? that, given the fact he had a father by the name of Jotham, who for the most part was a good king. And I just want to tell you this. You can be the best parent in all the world. You can be a godly parent. You can have your children in church. That is not a guarantee your kids will turn out exactly like you. Okay? Because I remind you, the devil is real. And you thank God tonight. If your children are straight and doing right for God, you ought to thank God for that tonight. And just thank the Lord they're walking church. And by the way, you ought to thank God for Sunday school for children and pray for the Sunday school teachers and the children and teenage capacity that they get a burden and a love for the students and pour their hearts out to them. And if you're in that capacity, I say to you children, uh, Sunday school teachers and teenage Sunday school teachers, you ought to have such a burden. There ought to be tears coming down your eyes when you're teaching those kids because you never know that kid, that, that young person you're teaching, might, that young man might, might wind up being a preacher. And you never know that girl might wind up being on the mission field. And you never know he might wind up being a deacon here at his Baptist church one day. And she might wind up being a deacon's wife or future Sunday school teacher. I'm just saying, we have to look at the next generation we're not filling space when we teach the Word of God. We're not, we're not just doing it because somebody asked to do it. We're doing it because there is a burden, there is a drive, there is concern that we reach this generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we look at this man, you wonder, how did he turn out that way? He made his own choice. He made his own choice. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the, are, are the ways of death. And I remind you that every person makes a choice. And listen tonight, if you're here as a young person, and you've got godly parents, and you've got a mother and father that, that are that are breaking their back to live for you, and they're on bended knee praying for you, you ought to thank God you got a mom and dad like that. You ought to thank God tonight you've got a father praying for you, and he's not out at a bar somewhere drinking drinking Heineken or something like that there, getting drunk, coming home drunk at night and beating up his wife. And if you've got a godly mother that sits at the kitchen table, and she's there praying and 
reading over a Bible and praying over your soul. You ought to thank God that you got a mother doing that. And she's not off sitting somewhere in the living room watching some soap opera and wasting her daytime. I'm just saying today, we have it very good as a church and realizing we were trying to raise a generation of mothers and fathers who care about things like that. And if you're, if you're going to be, if you're engaged to get married, I hope to get married one day and I hope you do. And if you recently married, I hope that's your burden. I hope that's your concern to have a godly home because except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain to build it. Now notice this man, this man Ahaz, he didn't turn out like his dad. He burned incense in the valley of Hinnom. He sacrificed his children in the fire. He desecrated the house of the Lord. Man, you think I'm bad in telling you don't bring food into the, the Berea Center or I tell you look at the scuffs on the floor or the place is dirty. This guy takes the knife, he takes some instruments and tools and he's carving and desecrating the house of God. He's taking pieces out of there. He's taking brass out of there and gold out of there and silver out of there. He's taking things that his forefathers Solomon put in there and he's taking and giving it to the king of Assyria to buy his way out of trouble. I mean, this is the kind of guy this man was. And nobody seemed to be bothered about it. He went down to Damascus, Assyria, and he went there to see the king. And as he was there, he saw an altar. And he saw this altar, and he said, man, that's a pretty cool altar. That's kind of like back in the days when screens first came out. When screens first came out, preachers rashed, ran out to get screens because they thought screens are cool. We got to have a screen because the church like that did that. And then you came out, some of the, some of the new evangelicals came out with some of their methodologies and they said, well, this is what you got to do if you want a church that's going to attract the crowd. You've got to do this. You've got to do that and do that. Well, here's what this man was doing. He was thinking about what God had instituted way back in Moses' time as far as the sacrifice and ceremonies and things they were doing and just little things like, you know, you'd go to the labor as a priest. You'd wash your hands, your feet before you went to the altar of incense. You had to get clean before you could serve God. By the way, that still applies today. Got to get clean before you can serve God. And so they, uh, he looked at these things. He said, you know, I think what they're doing is a little bit archaic. I think it's a little bit behind the times. We need something that's new and more modern. And so he sees this altar, this great altar there in Damascus. And he, and he, and he starts getting a piece of paper out, or maybe papyrus, if you would. And he starts grafting this out. And he sends it back to somebody back here, back in Jerusalem. He says, I want an altar just like that. We've got to have an altar just like that right there in our place there. And they built an altar just like that. Hey, this man, King A, was the ultimate pragmatist. He had to duplicate and replicate what he saw, thinking that would get him a crowd and get him popularity. Let me tell you tonight, pragmatism does not belong in a local New Testament church. He established altars for the worship of idols in every corner. He sought out the Assyrians for help. This is the man, the last thing we read about him in 2 Chronicles 28, he shuts up the doors of the house of God. He closed up God's house of all things. We see this man's transgressions, but notice we see his tribulations and troubles. Man, this guy had nothing but trouble all his life. He only lived to be 36 years of age. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but there's a lot of you in the 30s right now. I mean, can you imagine your life being cut short at 36 years of age? This man only lived to 36 years of age. He's in his 20s right now. God used the nations around him to be a means to chasten him. The Edomites came and took some of the people captive. King Pekah of Israel came, became his enemy, joined rank with Breeze in Assyria. Those two, listen, you couldn't ask for two people of opposite extremes coming together in the Confederacy to fight with Judah. And if you read the story there in 2 Kings 16, it's mind-boggling. 120,000 of the best soldiers in Judah perished in one day. Can you imagine that? I mean, if that happened in the United States of America, we lost 120,000 of our best soldiers, our special forces. One day, we'd be in deep trouble. They had 120,000 of their best men that perished that same day. And that wasn't because Israel and Syria together were better than them. It's because God took his hedge of protection off their lives. 
Not only that, they lose 120,000 of their best soldiers. Listen, a man came in that was very, very valiant. He was called a valiant man of Israel or Ephraim. He went in there and in one day, in one swoop, he took out Ahaz's son. He took out Ahaz's, uh, one of his chiefs, uh, one of his chief advisors. He took out the governor house. I mean, he took out three people that were closest to him to get his attention. Make matters worse, over 200,000 men of Judah, men and women of Judah. I mean, this brings you back to the days of Hitler when he took the Jews captive, stripped them naked and marched them through the cold there, through Poland and places like that to the, to the camps. Listen, he took 200,000, stripped them down to nothing. You read about this in Second Chronicles 28 and Second Kings 16. You read about that. He marched them out. He took 200,000 captive. And it wasn't for the fact God sent an old prophet by the name of Oded to him and says, listen, what you're doing is wrong. If you don't reverse this, God is going to send some bad, bad things to you there. And fortunately, there were some, there were some heads of state there for Israel that listened to that old prophet of God, they changed your mind. They turned that around. I'm just saying, hey, we look at this man, we see his transgressions, and we see his, we see his troubles there. You study the life of Ahaz before we get to Isaiah chapter 7. This man's life was a mess. Notice Isaiah 7 now, with that being said. In Isaiah 7, we see an isolated incident in this man's life. God is trying to bring him back. You might have to write some notes here. God was trying to bring him back. In those early years of his reign, God was showing this man how much he loved him. God was showing this man, listen, there's, you're not somebody that God doesn't give up. Listen to me tonight. There may be somebody you're about to give up on. Maybe there's somebody here tonight you're about to give up on yourself. I'm going to tell you tonight, no matter what you think about somebody else or what you think about yourself, God doesn't give up on you. So God comes to him. You notice verses 1 and 2, Pika and Reason, they formed this unholy alliance. And I like what it says in verse 1. They came up towards Jerusalem to war against it. But I like what it says, this is the hands of God, but they could not prevail against it. By the way, we ought to thank the Lord tonight that if you're going through some trial because God's trying to get your attention, be thankful tonight that trial has not prevailed over you. Amen? They went to war against him, and they, they were greater than him, but they did not prevail against him. So we read a little bit further on here, and uh, we see where the, they, were, they came together, and then God comes to him. Verses 3 to 9, God comes to him. Listen to this tonight so you understand where I'm going this evening. God sends the prophet Isaiah to him. Isaiah was a contemporary of, 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 of four kings. Ahaz, Hezekiah, Jotham, and King Uzziah. He was a prophet to those men. God's always had a prophet for his generation, for his people. He's always had a prophet for the government. And God sends Isaiah, and he, interesting enough, this is one of two times, he sends one of, uh, Isaiah there with one of his sons. And the son's name, if you'll read this here, is Sher Joshub. Now write this down in your notes. Sher Joshub, his name means a remnant has returned. Just to set the fact his very name was an indication. Listen, there's still hope for you. Listen, there's still hope you can turn around. I want you to know through the name of that God told Isaiah to name his son. He said, I want you to know that I care about your situation. I want to see you turn out right. So first of all, God tells him, notice what he says here. He says, go to him. 
And by the way, he tells him in verse 3, he says, go meet him at the conduit of the upper pool and the highway of the fuller field. Now, I'll tell you what I believe he's doing there. Why, why was the meeting there? I believe Ahaz was there at that time trying to do one of two things with the water supply. Either he was trying to, to restrict the water supply just specifically to Jerusalem, or he's trying to cut off the water supply so when, when, the, when the reason and Pekah would come, they would not have access to the water. You, they, they all knew this in those times. If you wanted to feed a city, first thing you did, you go after the water supply and you go after the food. You cut them off. That's what happened right before they were taken captive by Jerusalem. And so re, so he's smart enough, Ahaz smart enough to go up there to the, up the, the fuller field where the upper pool is and he's kind of fooling with things here and trying to strategize. He's trying to figure this thing out on his own. He's trying to figure it out on his own. And so he's trying to figure this out on his own. And here comes the prophet Isaiah up to him with his son, Shear Joshua. And he comes to him and he brings him a message. We see a twofold message. The first thing he tells him is he comes to him and he, and he says, uh, listen, I want you to listen for just a minute. He says, take heed, be quiet, fear not, neither be faint hearted. Now, you know, remember, you know, just remember this. When, when we see something like that, why did God do, say something different to him than he would somebody else? Let me remind you something. God always tailors designed the message to who we are. God tailored designed it to this man's personality. Look at it again. He said to him in verse 4, Take heed and be quiet. I think Ahaz was probably known for rebutting God and arguing with the Lord, arguing with the prophet of God. He said, Take heed and be quiet. Fear not, neither be faint-hearted. For the two teeth says, Look at I know these guys are angry. I know that these two men, he described them as firebrands and he was intimidated by them. He says, I want you to listen. I want you to be quiet. I don't want you to have fear. He says, Don't be faint-hearted. And he says, uh, I know they've taken counsel against you, and they said all these things. But here's what God said in verse 7. Thus saith the Lord God. Now, right there, when you hear, thus saith the Lord God, there's authority behind that. Can you hear an amen? There's authority behind that, okay? Not only is there authority behind that, you can bank on it, all right? You don't have to blink an eye. You don't have to go to bed at night worrying about if God is true. Listen, let God be true and every man a liar, amen? It's impossible for God to lie. Titus 1, 2. And so we look at over here in this verse 7 here. He says, it shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. He says, I want to tell you something. I know these are two firebrands, Reason and Pekah. And I know that they've set their threat against you, Ahab, Ahaz. And you're in the beginning years of your ministry. But I said, I want to tell you something. It doesn't matter what they do. It shall not stand against what you are. I'm going to take a stand for you there. But he says there's a contingency to that. He reminds him in verse 8, he says, they had a series Damascus, and they had a Damascus reason. And he says, 65 years from now, Ephraim be broken, that it will not be a nation. I just want to tell you something. Israel has gone so far away, they will not be a nation 65 years from now. Now, you'll be long gone. You'll be dead by then, son. But he said, they won't be a nation where I just want to tell you, I'm just giving you insight about the future. I'm prophesying to you what's going on. I want you to know how it's all going to turn out. He says, you just need to understand. Don't be afraid. He says, neither be faint-hearted. I'm going to take care of that. And he says to him this in verse verse 9. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria. And the head of Samaria is Remelite. And why did he say all that to him that way? Because he wanted to remind him, listen, I know who these men are. I know where their heads are. I know where their capital is. But I'm still God. Amen. I'm still God. It doesn't matter where their capital is. I'm in heaven. I'm in a place that's not going to be dominated and overcome by kings. Listen, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing, the Bible says. And so he says in verse 9, If ye will not believe, neither shall ye be established. He says, I'm going to take care of things. But if you don't believe, you're not going to be established. Now, he, he was what, what an opportunity to trust God. God was telling this man, I love you. 
God was telling this man, listen, I'm going to take care of you. God was telling this man, it's all good. He says, listen, but the only thing you got to do, you just got to have faith in me. You got to believe me. You got to have faith in what I'm doing. He says, listen, along the way, don't get, don't get, don't get sidetracked by the little details that don't seem like they're all coming together. And let me tell you something tonight. There are little details about the Berean Center that might be a little annoying as we're getting along the way. Don't let that distract you. Look at the bigger picture. The bigger picture is a tool for the glory of God. Okay, don't, don't worry about it. If it's too cold, too hot, too comfortable, not too comfortable, comfortable chairs, no chairs. Hey, just be thankful. Hey, thank God we got a building. Amen. Amen. Thank God we got 15,000 square, square feet of building space to build. And I'm going to tell you something tonight. If we stay, take more time worrying about the little things that are discomforts to us instead of the big thing, which is we need to fill the building up, we're going to miss exactly what God wants us to claim. And so God was exhorting this king. He says, listen, all I want you to do, watch this now. He said, if you will not believe, you know what he's telling him? You don't have any faith. You don't have any faith. I want you to have faith in me. I want you to believe me. All I want you, man, I, I tell you what, God, God coming to him right there is just telling him, all you got to do is believe. Just believe. Just believe my word. Thus saith the Lord. It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. Just believe in me. He's saying, just what you believe that. And no, 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 King Ahaz, now this is, this kind of blows my mind. Did you notice between verses 9 and 10? Ahaz doesn't answer. He's like some people, you send them an email, they never respond back to you. And so some people, and it's okay if they wait one day, two days, three days, and maybe they're thinking about what to say, but they just don't respond back to you. That's their way of basically saying, I'm, I, I'm not interested. I don't care. There's no answer. So notice verse 10. Notice how it's phrased here. Isaiah's writing this out because Isaiah's kind of watches this and thinking, Ahaz, don't you get it? Moreover, moreover, now the Lord didn't give up on him. By the way, aren't you glad God doesn't give up on you? Amen? Amen. Moreover, the Lord spake again. Okay, he didn't hear me. Maybe I wasn't loud enough. Maybe the King James Version language was too difficult for him to understand. No, he said, moreover, the Lord, the Lord spake again unto A.S. saying, okay, I'm going to make it simpler. I want you to believe. So how do you believe? Through prayer. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. You want the greatest exercise of faith? Through prayer. So he says there, I'll tell you what I'm going to do for you. Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. The Jews require a sign. Isn't that what the Bible says? The Jews require a sign. Ask the sign of the Lord. Ask it, he said. Notice why he describes it. Ask it either in the depths. Think with me of a bottomless pit. Or, he says, or in the height above where there's no ceiling. There's no bottom. There's no ceiling. He's saying, listen, it's, there's, there's no limit. Just ask a sign. Let your imagination run wild. Get out of the box that you're in. Let go of the constraints that you've been raised under. Let go of your unbelief. He said, ask the sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. This is like I said earlier. This is like an open book test. I mean, you, if you fail an open book test, there's something wrong there. Amen. The open book test, the answers are there. That's like someone giving you an open checkbook. Write the check out for whatever you want. It's like Warren Buffett coming here, which he wouldn't do. But if he came here, that old atheist coming here and says, Pastor Fong, uh, here's an open checkbook. You can write it out for whatever you want. And I'd be a little bit skeptical of him. I'd want to make sure there's money in the account. Amen. But he's just like asking, what, you know, just write off whatever you want there. This like, this like, this is standard. 
enemy for the, the creator of all the universe and the very presence of God himself. And God is saying to him, God has come to him through the prophet Isaiah. He says, here's what I'm going to do for you. You've got these two firebrands outside. You've got this man reason. You've got this man peak outside. They're, they're warring against you. They're not going to touch you. They're not going to, they're not going to bother you. It shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. But here's what I want you to do. I says, he said, if you will not believe, you should not be established. Now he wants this man to succeed. Hey, listen to me tonight, Christian friend. Do you understand something? God wants you to succeed. Don't have a don't have a loser mindset. Don't have a failure mindset. Don't have a believe unbelieving mindset. Just, just to understand tonight, no matter how difficult it may be, it doesn't matter what what you think about yourself, what people say about you. Always remember this: God's thoughts are not our thoughts, and His ways are not our thoughts. Hey, I like what He says in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven: For I know the thoughts I think of you. That encourages me because I wonder all the time: What do people think about me? And so do you. And He's thinking. Can I trust God? Can I believe the Lord? Will God meet my need? Will God help us at this time? And God says, here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to make it so simple. I'm going to make it so simple. Ask the sign of the Lord. Ask me. Ask me. Ask me a sign of the depths or of the height. There's no ceiling. There's no bottom. Just ask. He asked. Would you just ask? Would you notice verse 12? Now, Ahaz finally speaks to God. Let me tell you something tonight before I, I read that. When God speaks and asks you for an answer, you better give him an answer. Amen. Don't, don't, don't turn your back on God. You might not respond an email to me. You might not send back a text message to me. And you might be angry with me not saying, but you better not treat God like that. You better not treat God like that. Amen. You don't treat God like that because he's going to get an answer out of you. And God, God comes to him. He says, okay, I'm going to give you a second chance, son. I, I'm going to tell you, I love you. I love you. I want you to pray. I want you to ask me in faith. I want you to believe me for something that, that I can do for you. I know you think this is too big for you. And you're probably looking. And he, and listen, by the way, A has no idea how this is all going to unfold. He has no idea later on he'll lose 120,000 of his special forces in one day. He has no idea later on because he's such a bonehead. He doesn't realize that later on that he's going to lose the governor of his house, one of his sons, and he's going to lose one of his chief advisor all in one day. He has no idea that 200,000 of his people are going to be taken, marched out of that city captive. They're going to be disrobed of all their clothes, walking shamefully out outside that city to the enemy city. He has no idea that's going to happen. He doesn't realize beyond his little selfish world that there were other people at stake that he had to be concerned about. He wasn't thinking about that. All God was telling you is, listen, I realize you don't get it. I realize you don't do doubt whether I love you or not. I realize you don't probably trust that prophet Isaiah, but I'm telling you tonight, he says, ask the sign of the Lord. Ask it of the depth beneath and ask it of the height above. He said, look, look, there's no bottom and there's no ceiling. Just ask me. And here's the, here's the arrogant answer this man gives. But he has said, I will not ask. Not going to ask him for help. Who does he think he is? I'm not asking for help. I'm, gonna ask the, I'm not going to ask the preacher for help. Then he has audacity. He said, neither will I not ask him to help, neither will I tempt him. Ask. Asking is one of the most basic yet essential aspects of life. Asking is always associated with a quest for help or assistance. It's good etiquette, good manners, young people, to ask for authorization or permission to borrow, use, 
or access for entry. You don't take, you ask. Sunday school teachers, we have refreshments out there. You need to teach those children. They just don't go up there and grab it after Sunday school. They need to ask. You don't put your hand in your wife's purse and look for something. You won't find what you look for anyway, but you don't put your hand to look for something there. You ask. You don't go to your father's pocket and pull out a credit card and think you can go charge it. You ask. You don't take liberties that do not belong to you. Just because you've been in the church for 19 years, you don't take liberties that don't belong. You need to ask. And so he says, ask. We teach our children to ask. Not demand when they need something. All you got to do is ask. Would you notice this evening the key lesson? Number one, would you write this down? It's getting late. Number one, the basic responsibility. In essence, God was telling Ahaz, I want to help you. Just ask me a sign. Just ask me to give you a sign. Prayer is simply asking God for help. Amen? Prayer, say that with me tonight. Prayer is simply asking God for help. Say that with me tonight. Prayer is simply asking God for help. Jesus explained prayer this way. Ask and ye shall. Seek and ye shall. Knock and it shall be unto you. For he that asketh, he that seeketh, he that knocketh, it shall be open unto him. What man of you, if he has a son? Now he's bringing to a father-son intimacy. If his son should ask for bread, will he give him a stone? If he'd ask for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil or sinners, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more should Heavenly Father give good things to them that ask of him? All you've got to do is ask. Jesus said, ask, ye shall receive. Jesus said in John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Now, John 16, 24, Jesus said this. Hitherto you've asked nothing in my name, asking you shall receive that your joy may be full. First Samuel 1, 27. Listen to the testimony of Hannah. For this child I prayed and the Lord has given me my petition. Notice which I asked of him. What does the name Samuel mean? Asked of the Lord. Asked of God. It means she said, I just came to God. God has given me my petition, which I asked of him. Listen to what God said about Solomon in 1 Kings 3, 5. When Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give thee. Psalms 2, 8. You want to see missions turned upside down? You want to reach the 1040 window? I've been with my friend Dwight Thomas and we together prayed this prayer. Ask, he says in Psalms 2, 8. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Listen, we're we're not going anywhere in missions if you don't ask for people to get saved. We're not going anywhere in missions if you don't pray for God to save some Muslims. We're not going anywhere in missions if we don't ask God to save some Buddhists and some atheists and some people like that. There's no sinner God cannot save. Amen. Ephesians 3.20 Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Listen what Jesus said in John 14, 13, 14. And the context of that is asking in faith, believing God that you'll do greater works than he did. He said... In John 14, 13, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, that will I do. All you got to do is ask. 
James 1, 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not. 1 John 3, 22, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing to sight. 1 John 5, 14, 15, and this is the confidence we have in him. If we ask anything be according to his will, he heareth us. And we know that he hears us, that whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petition, we ask him. God was exhorting us, ask it either in the depth or in the height above. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, all you have to do is ask. But notice, secondly, we see a basic responsibility. Would you notice the blatant refusal? Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. I'm not going to ask. I'm a self-made man. Did you pray this morning? Can you think of ten things, ten people... You ask God to do something for? Ask. I will not ask. Neither will I tempt the Lord. He was given the unlimited resources of heaven. And he said he would not ask to stretch the limits with God. Ahab, Ahaz committed the sin of prayerlessness. He flagrantly told God, I will not ask. By the way, when you don't pray, you're telling God, I'm not going to ask. The sin of prayerlessness. He refused God's help and intervention. He says, if you will not believe, neither shall you stand or be established. He refused God's power to work on his behalf. He refused to exercise faith in God. James said, you have not because you ask not. It's amazing. Heathen pray. Hypocrites pray. People in hell pray. God's people don't pray. We don't pray because we don't have time. We don't pray because we don't have a need. We don't pray because we have it all figured out. We don't pray because we don't feel like we want to beg God. We don't pray because we don't want to meet God under His conditions. We want to do it under our conditions. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You have not because you ask not. We don't pray because basically we're not interested in God's help unless it is urgent, critical, or self-promoting. Prayerlessness is why we have no power over sin. Prayerlessness is why we struggle with lust and covetousness, men. Prayerlessness is why we have little fruit. If you're content with little fruit, there's something wrong. Did you hear what I said? I said, if you're content with little fruit or no fruit, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. Prayer is why we get cynical and critical. How many got cynical since Sunday night? Prayerless is why we don't have revival. Prayerless is why some skip church, won't be at the services for the missions conference. Prayerless is why your marriage is having trouble. Prayerless is why souls are not being saved. Prayerless is why you're not winning souls. You have not because you ask not. Prayerless is why you don't do anything great for God or hold back the vision God has for this church from going forward. Prayerless is why you have, you have people problems. Prayerless is why you have financial problems. Prayerless is why you can't sleep at night. Prayerless is why you don't tithe, participate in faith promise, or give anything to the building program. I promise you, you spend an hour praying about faith promise, you're going to probably empty out your checking account and empty out your bank because you can't wait to do something for missions. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't hear a lot of amens about that. 
Person, why your love went cold and why you have a lukewarm life. Ask the sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it in the depth or the height above. They have said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. A blatant refusal. Would you notice the third thing? Notice the bitter regret. Read the rest of Ahaz's life. He gave away the wealth of the temple. Now, somebody help me with this tonight. God invites us to come to church to give to Him. Not take what belongs to God and give it away to the enemy. Did you understand what I just said? You get resources from God when you come to church, but you're giving it to the enemy. We're to be distributors of God's grace. Did you distribute God's grace this week? I'm saying tonight, give and shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down and boiling, coming over. Will, will the Lord get back into our bosom? He gave away the wealth of the temple. I told you earlier, 120,000 of his best soldiers died in battle in one day. He lost the closest people in his life. 200,000 were taken captive. Not only did Pika come and reason come and they took over everything there. Listen, right after that insult to injury, the Edomites came. And the Edomites took a bunch of people captive. Because of his refusal to pray. Because of what we read right here. When you read the rest of Second Chronicles 28 and Second, Second Kings 16, we read the rest of that. We correlate those with Isaiah 7. No wonder this man's life was all messed up. No wonder his life... He ended, no wonder he died at 36. We leave God out of our lives. We're leaving the blessings out of our life. I can't put my finger on statistics or number, but I think there's a lot of people of all walks of life living in bitter regret. Because they waited too long before they prayed. Or worse, they did not pray at all. I'm humbled whenever someone says, Pastor, i got a problem. Would you pray for me? I'm humbled, and that's a great ministry. But I'm a little bit bothered after three months they're still not praying for themselves. I'm a little concerned why they're not asking God and then why they become skeptical three months later. He said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. The sin of prayerlessness. I wonder tonight if someone here is living with bitter regret. Because just like Ahaz, maybe not the same wording, you said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. What's in your life that you took that you didn't ask God for? What's in your life that you took, but you manipulated your prayer so the end result would be what you can get? There is bitter regret. Notice one last thing tonight. We see the basic responsibility. All you've got to do is ask. We see the blatant refusal. I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. You read it later on, you see his bitter regrets. So what's, what's the last thing we need to look at? Would you consider with me tonight this? It's very simple. We need a burning revival. We need a burning revival. We need a revival of prayer in our lives. We need a revival of prayer in our homes. We need a revival of fathers praying with their sons. Listen, he told about John the Baptist. I'll turn the hearts of the sons of the father and fathers of the son. Listen, man, you're having trouble with your son. I would help you tonight. Maybe you ought to go pray with your son. Same goes for mothers and daughters. We need, we need a revival of prayer in our marriages. Listen, likewise, ye husbands. Dwell with them according to honor. Giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, that your and as being heirs together, the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. We need a revival of prayer in our church. 
We need a revival of prayer of children with their parents. Listen, Sunday school teachers, you'd be surprised. Little children can pray. We need a revival of prayer in our student ministry, students. We need a revival of prayer for America. There's going to be time comes. There's going to be a change in president, change in Congress. You better start praying now. Next administration coming in, next group coming in may not be as lenient as what we got right now. We need a revival of prayer for reaching this world the gospel. Hey, you need to have, we need a revival of prayer praying for the country, China, because right now country is a bad place right now as far as, as, far as getting the gospel out. God's gonna, it's not gonna stop God, but when you got a, when you got a man there right now who's taking the Bibles off the bookshelves, He's even contemplating sent rewriting a new Bible and putting his thoughts in there. And he wants to go down to history and being greater than Mao Zedong. I said, we got a problem there. And when missionaries are being arrested and kicked out. And listen, I, w- I was with somebody uh, not too long ago. On one particular day, 12 churches were closed up in Beijing and 12 preachers, regardless of what their denomination, 12 preachers were kicked out of China in that same day. And it's not just China. We got missionaries in Nicaragua. They're going through the stuff right now. You better pray for Nicaragua right now. We need a burning desire to permeate our souls in such a way that will drive us back to our knees and seek the God of heaven. We don't feel a need to pray like this man Ahaz. We need to pray. We need a revival of holy praying. Prayer is God's means for us to claim the spiritual inheritance he has. Listen to what Hudson Taylor said. This is so good. The prayer power has never been tried to its full capacity. We want to see mighty wonders of divine power and grace wrought in the place of weakness, failure, and disappointment. Let us answer God's standing challenge. Call unto me, now answer thee, and show thee great mighty things which thou knowest not. Abraham Lincoln, I saw two pictures of Abraham Lincoln. I saw a picture of Abraham Lincoln when he entered the office, a picture of Abraham Lincoln at the tail end of his, of his term before he was assassinated, that man looked like he aged 30 years. This is what he said. I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for the day. We must come to grips with the invitation in Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly. Why? Because we're shy. Because we're timid. Because there's whatever was in Ahaz, there's a little bit inside of us. I will not ask of the Lord, neither will I tempt the Lord. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace. By the way, when you get saved, before you got saved, it's the throne of justice. When you get saved, it's the throne of grace. Amen. <laughs> Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I got up early one morning, rushed right into the day. I had so much to accomplish, I didn't take time to pray. Problems just tumbled about me and heavy came each task. Why doesn't God come to help me, I wondered. And he answered, you just didn't ask. I tried to come to God's presence. I used all my keys at the lock. God gently, lovingly chided, why child, why didn't you just knock? I wanted to see joy and beauty. But the day toiled on, gray and bleak, gray and bleak. I wonder why God didn't show me, he answered me. Because you didn't seek. I woke up early this morning and paused before entering the day. I had so much accomplished that I had to take time to come and pray. Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask the sign of the Lord, thy God. Ask it either in the depth and the height above. What an invitation. Ask if the depth, no bottom. 
with height above, no ceiling. And Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. Brother and sister in Christ, all you got to do is ask. All you got to do is just ask. Father, tonight, forgive us for the sin of prayerlessness. Let me give the invitation now. I'm not asking you to stand. If you need to come, you find your way to the altar right now. I'm asking if a pianist can play. If you need to come, you come right now. the sign of the Lord. Ask it of the depth beneath of the height above. All you got to do is ask. Are you bothered? Lack of prayer? Insufficient prayer? Weak prayer? Anemic prayer? No prayer? Hypocritical praying? What you praying like? I mean, after, after reading about Ahaz, doesn't it bother you tonight? That's why our country's in the mess it's in. That's why missions is not advancing. Ask the sign of the Lord. Ask of the depth beneath and the height above. And Ahaz answered God. He defiantly said to God, I will not ask. If you have nothing in your heart you're praying about, you're telling God the same thing Ahaz said. I have nothing to ask. I have nothing to, to ask you to do for me. And maybe God has to do something to shake us up so we learn how to ask. Would you ask? Would you ask? All you got to do is just ask. Father, basic needs, we ask for forgiveness where there's prayerlessness and weakness and sin. Father, we pray that you would stir our faith. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please Him. Lord, thank you for inviting us into your presence. By the way, Lord, thank you for being so long-suffering and so loving to us like you were with Ahaz. I mean, I can't imagine you told him it it shall happen. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. But he didn't answer you. He didn't respond. He didn't believe you. And deep down inside, he just said, I can do it myself. I don't need you. And what a bothersome thing in verse 10. It says, moreover, the Lord came to Ahaz again. I wonder tonight if this is the second or third or fourth, or we can't even count on two hands. God's come to us. Father, help us not to rely on the we- of, of carnal weapons and carnal means and psychology and business strategy 
and strategic planning to get us to where we need to be. We need to ask. We need to ask. Strengthen our prayer lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for coming tonight. Uh, For those who came late, I want to introduce a very, very good family friend of mine. I'm thankful for Pastor Julius Kittigary and his wife, Kathy, and their son, Christopher, being with us. Some some of you came in late. uh, Pastor Kittigary's mother-in-law, Kathy's mother, Mrs. Emily Wong, and Christopher were among our founding members of Heritage Baptist Church back on January 21st, 1999. And uh, Mrs. Wong, I have so many wonderful memories of her, just Many, many times we, we went soul winning. Basically, I needed in those early days. We didn't have a lot of people that could speak in the Chinese language. And sometimes a father or mother was in the hospital or something like that. There was a need. And Mrs. Wong, Faith, and God only knows how many souls came to Christ through Mrs. Wong. But our second building that we went to, um, Mrs. Wong was the one that made the introduction. And uh, we, we really didn't have a place to go. And we needed, I mean, you look back, you look back right now with that building needed some help. But, you know, God, God took care of us. The church still grew in spite of that. But Pastor Kitigari is a fundamentalist. He's, uh, he's in Nairobi, Kenya. And uh, if you, you talk to people in Kenya, in fact, we have the Rains family, uh, brother, brother and Mrs. Uh, uh, Stephen Rains, that we support down there. When they were here in deputation a couple of years ago, I said, well, I, I know somebody in, down in Nairobi. You might know them. And I said, they said, yeah. And I said, do you know Tika Road Baptist Church? And everybody says, this, yes, we know, because that's the main road there in, in Nairobi is Tika Road there. I told, I told one of the men, I told Kathy this a few years ago. Um, I was out sewing in Union City in 2007. And I, I came to cul-de-sac and knocked on the door, and the lady came to the door, and, and she, said, uh, she said she was from Kenya. I said, really? I said, we're, we're in Kenya. And she said, from Nairobi. I said, do you know Tika Road? She says, yeah. I said, I said really? I said, do you know Tika Road Baptist Church, Pastor Julius Kitagiri? She said, yeah, I got saved in his ministry. Can you imagine that? In Union City, of all places there, you know. But we're thankful they're here tonight. They're just coming through the area, and we're thankful for them. Uh, Christopher works in the area. I know some of our members there. But I hope you take a moment just to extend the right hand of fellowship to them and let them know you're glad they're here. They have built probably the largest Christian school in, in Kenya, but just a great thriving church there in Nairobi. We're so thankful for them. And, uh, you know, I hope that you just take a moment to greet them and let them know you're glad they're here. Now, be here Saturday, 9.30, not 9.45. Come 9.30, grab a bite to eat or drink a cup of coffee or drink some water, just whatever. Come and join us for a few minutes. We're going to have the So Many Marathon. We're trying to get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hopefully a couple thousand doors that, that, mo- that morning. And that'll be a great day. And then start praying and being prepared for our missions conference starting next Wednesday. Just talk to Brother Barnhouse. David Barnhouse is going to be our opening preacher for that Wednesday night. It's going to be a blessing. And uh, we want to use every night to bring lost people to hear the gospel as well and get our hearts served for mission. So those are my two big things for this week. Remember uh, the, the Berean Center, just a couple things uh, tonight. On the Berean Center, just remember where your rooms are at. Don't please, please, please help me with this. No food in the building. Uh, we had food that got somehow, it made its way. In. I don't know if the food had legs on it or whatever there. The food made its way in there and immediately the food got in there. Ants already came into the building. We've already got ants in the building, okay? So please do not bring food in the building. I know it's a bad habit, okay? But let's just try to remember no food in the building. And uh, we're, we're going to talk to you about a fire and earthquake. But I'm going to talk to the adult growth groups about that time. But I'm going to talk to all the class about a fire, a fire and earthquake um, evacuation plan that we're going to need everybody to follow through with just in case something happens. We have a little bit more exposure right now in terms of things with a two-story building. I'm a little bit concerned about that. In fact, the door just kind of woke me up the other night about that. And uh, just we need to address that. We're going to probably have a Sunday for a couple, 
for a couple minutes. We're going to just do a drill so everybody knows what's going on. But just be aware of that. And uh, we're just trusting God to use the building. Now, remember, have a good spirit about the building. Okay, there's a lot of things that are, that are good about it. And there's a lot of things that we need to improve upon. We're all working through that. Sorry about what happened to the restroom during the second hour. If you don't know what it is, don't worry about it. It's fine now. It's fine. It's, it's, there's nothing wrong, okay? But just, just, okay, just trust us. That we're, we're figuring all this out, okay? So, but don't, don't have a bad spirit now. God can't bless that. Amen? Amen. Okay. How, how, do you overcome a, how do you overcome a cynical spirit? What are the seven words? Keep yourselves in the? Love there you go. Keep yourselves in the love of God. The seven words overcome a cynical spirit. I'm glad I'm in church tonight. You're dismissed. God bless you.